A reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, and it's on page 1288 of the Pew Bible. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your servants' service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here ends the reading. Thanks, uh, Jeff. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, O oh Lord, that you speak to our hearts this morning as we look at this letter to the church in Thyatira, Lord, uh, that you would give us insight into your word and that you help us to apply that in our own lives and in the life and ministry of this church here at St. Stephen's that belongs to you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you keep me humble before you and your people. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, this morning, um, once again, happy Mother's Day to all mums. Uh, did you, um, any mums here at breakfast this morning? Uh, I don't want to raise your hands or something, but I see some of you nodding your head. So I hope, I hope you, did, you did, or maybe you didn't, I don't know. But you, I hope you have some kind of uh, celebration today, and, uh, and that will be a great day for you. But it's also a day when we also reflect with some of us uh, who have lost our mums and... Um, for those mums who are in hospitals and uh, are suffering dementia and other things like that as well, it's, it's a very hard uh, time for them. And for those of us who have, particularly our mums overseas, uh, we remember uh, them as well uh, this morning. So, um, but to all the mums here this morning and grandmas, opas, and I mean omas, omas, the Dutch word is not opa, not grandfather, but all the omas here, and uh, a happy Mother's Day as well. So, hope you have a great day. Well, friends, this morning we, we are going to continue our series uh, on, on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. So let me give you a very quick overview of what, uh, what we have looked at so far. Uh, 
the first church was the church of Ephesus. This, was, uh, this church was loyal to Jesus. Uh, they were doctrinally sound. Uh, they were an active church. Nothing to fault with in that regard. But this church had lost its first love. They have fallen out of love with Jesus. And they have forgotten what it means to love Christ in the first instance. And it's so possible for us in our own lives to be so busy with so many things that our lives become crowded out, even in the church ministry, that we forget the person that we have our relationship with. And Jesus says, you've fallen from your first love. The second church was the church in Smyrna, and the church in Smyrna received uh, no rebuke about praise. They loved the Lord, they lived out their faith, they faced severe persecution with some being thrown into prison due to their faith in Jesus. And we know some of our mission partners are serving under difficult circumstances, not knowing what persecution would come their way. This past week, I Skyped with Ian and, uh, and Rachel. Uh, they are away uh, overseas at the moment. It was lovely to speak with them. We are planning to speak every two weeks to pray and to encourage our brother and sister in Christ and the family there and the fears under which they are serving. It's not, it's really, it is serious. The third church was the church uh, of Pergamum or Pergamos, if you want to call it that way. This church, as we know the last week, was loyalty. They were loyal to, to, to Jesus, but was lacking in moral passion. And so all these churches, Ephesus, Myrna and Pergamum, were true to the faith and not yet yielded themselves in some sense to the assaults of Satan, but yet there were rebukes and corrections to this church. But now when we, to, to these churches, but now when we come to the church in Thyatira, we are faced with a different situation. I'll give you some background very quickly, please. Thyatira was a fortified city, uh, which was located about four, uh, maybe 60 kilometers or so southeast of Pergamum. This was a commercial and trading city with, uh, which stimulated its economic uh, growth through various trades. This is the least known city, far less significant than the rest. And in Thyatira, there were trade guilds, or what we may call in today's terms, trade unions, which were established in this city. And these trade guilds comprised of tent makers, uh, carpenters, weavers, dyers, and various other tradesmen and women in the society. We read of, for example, Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Uh, she was a trader of purple goods in Thyatira. Acts 16:14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what, Paul, what was said by Paul. So she was one of Paul's first converts when the Lord opened her heart. Now each trade had its own guild and was divided according to their various trades. And if one was to make progress in your trade or business, you had to be a part of that guild. You had to be a part of that trade union, so to speak. The problem was that these guilds were associated with idol worship. And each guild had its guardian god or gods. And therefore, as a member of the guild, you would be expected to attend all the, rit the rituals and the functions of the guild. And this included 
making offerings to idols, that is idol worship, and it also involved sexual immorality in some shape or form. As they had then practiced these rituals, there was also a, a sense of sexual freedom in part of the guild and part of that worship uh, celebration, so to speak. And you can imagine the pressure placed upon Christians to belong to one of these guilds and to participate in these rituals. Because if you were not part of the guild, then you would have to pay a price. Possibly a big price in terms of trade and commerce and economics. How do you provide food for your families? How do you provide for yourself? How do you live and function in a society as a Christian and have to be part of a guild that would ask you to do things that are contrary to your Christian faith? What a challenge. And so the members of the church at Thyatira had to make a choice of being part of the guild or to follow Christ and be faithful to him. That was the challenge. How did they respond? Jesus sends them a long letter. Did you notice that? This is the longest letter, really, of the seven churches. What does he want from the church here at Thyatira? And as we look at this, le- this letter, I've outlined it in the following ways. We have the praise, we have the problem, there's the discipline, and there's the promise. The praise, the problem, the discipline, and the promise. That's what we see, I think, in, this, uh, in, in the text that's before us this morning, if you want to give a, a division of this, of this letter. Well, let's look at uh, the, the praise. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first You see, the letter is addressed again to the angel of the church, that is, the minister of the church in Thyatira. And the words of the Son of God, these are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The first thing we see here, friends, this morning, is that Jesus comes to this church, identifying himself right into this church, and he comes to this church, and he says, I am the Son of God. This is the only place in, uh, in Revelation that we see this title of Jesus as the Son of God, though it is used often uh, throughout the Gospels. And if you want to trace this back to this concept, you can go to the book of Daniel, but let me also point out uh, Psalm, chapter, sorry, Psalm 2 and verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Uh, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This psalm, Psalm 2, is what we call a messianic psalm. That is, this psalm speaks of Jesus. Augustine, the early church father, uh, called uh, Jesus, and this is in Latin, now I'm not a Latin scholar, but I'll try, he called it this way, Iste cantote samorium. How's that for my Latin? Not much. <laughs> right? Iste cantato samorium. That is, himself, the singer of the psalms. 
That's how Augustine saw this psalm and the psalms. Himself, the singer of the psalms. One writer puts it this way. The psalm is not only about Jesus, but he himself speaks in it. This psalm is not only about Jesus, but he himself speaks in it. So in Psalm 2, we have a messianic psalm. It will be quoted here. It is here in this, in this chapter as well. Indirectly we will see it coming through here. And the Apostle John, for, uh, so, so we've got to take this back. The Son of God, which the psalm speaks of and tells us of the deity of Jesus. You know, when Russell prayed, he said, you are divine. Jesus, you are the divine one. You are both God and man. You are the full person of God revealed. Deity. And uh, the Apostle John himself uh, says this in, in, in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The, the second person of the Trinity became man. Notice that he was in the beginning with God. If you want to look at it in terms of, uh, of covenants in the scriptures, you might say that this is what we see also a covenant of redemption. That Jesus is with the Father and he comes from the Father and he is God in the flesh. The Son of God. And he speaks. And he speaks to this church. And he speaks to us today in his word. And what has he got to say to this church? He's claiming divine authority and divine power. He comes to this church as the Son of God with full divine authority. And notice his description, friends. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Now I touched on that in chapter 1 already. His feet are like burnished bronze. Both eyes and feet are described here in terms of knowing and swiftness of action. The eyes indicate that he sees all things. He knows all things. He knows the deep things of our hearts, does he not? Because he sees right through us. We may think that we can hide things. I've said this in the past. We may think we can even hide things from our parents. There are young people here this morning. (laughs) I say to our children, I say to them, honor Christ. That includes for myself as well. He's number one. There's no other. The Lord knows. He sees. He sees our hearts. He sees our motives. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Laser sharp. And his feet are like burnished bronze. The Thyatira was well known for its bronze products. I don't know whether you got any bronze uh, ornaments in your house. Uh, my parents certainly do. They brought some stuff from Sri Lanka, some bronze things. And they are there, horses and all kinds of things. My mother loves all these knick-knacks. The house is filled with all of those things. Imagine trying to clean all those ornaments. I don't know how she does it, but anyway, the point is, these bronze things are there. And uh, Thyatira was, was well known for their bronze products. They had a guild of workers who were specialized in such products. And so the picture is very telling. Jesus uses that context that is taking place in the city. Uh, he knows that they are specialized in bronze products. And he says his feet are like burnished bronze. A bright 
metallic gloss substance that shines and it is indicative of a swift pursuit of all that is evil and bringing discipline and judgment. And so we see a sense of awe, his eyes and his feet. The Son of God, he moves with purpose and he keeps going. And so there were some great things in this church. Look, have a look at your, your Bibles. You, you see four aspects of things here. Your love, so there is nothing greater than love, as we know in 1 Corinthians 13. Your faith, uh, they, they exercise their faith. Uh, your, your service, as we see in, in, in this church as well. So there was, uh, um, there, there was all of this that was going on. Your deeds, he knows these deeds, which are comprised of your love, your faith, your service, and, and your perseverance, your patient endurance that you are now doing more than you did at first. So this was a very active church. Great virtues were evident in the life of the church. This church was doing well on all accounts. It was faultless in this regard. But then, there's a problem here. A deep problem. We switch from praise to rebuke from Christ. There was a serious, serious problem in this church. Notice the problem, friends. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Can you see? (laughs) That's why I've titled this message, The Tolerant Church. It's a tolerant church. In this church, there was no threat from Rome to the church. We read of no external pressures placed upon the church. Instead, the risk in this church at Thyatira was coming from within. And what was it? It concerned a woman by the name of Jezebel. The church was tolerating the presence of a prophetess, a false prophetess, and uh, followers. See, we have to be very careful when we say so and so is a prophet or a prophetess. How do you know? They should be tested in accordance to God's word. And what do we know about this woman, Jezebel? We don't know whether this was a real, actual name. Or whether she was given the name, like a nickname, due to a resemblance of the Old Testament woman, Jezebel. Now we read of Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16, 19, 21. We read of her in 2 Kings. Uh, Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab, who married her from, uh, as a princess from Sidon. And Jezebel was not a good influence on her husband. She was the wife, we might say, of a very weak king. And she urged Ahab to worship the pagan god Baal and also the goddess uh, Asherah. We read this in, in 1 Kings 16. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an uh, Asherah. Ahab did, not, did, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Do we get the picture? Jezebel sought to contaminate Israel and Ahab did nothing to withstand her actions. She, Jezebel, caused Israel to worship pagan gods and to indulge in sexual immorality 
which was part of the cults of Baal and uh, Asheroth, a moon goddess. And the worship of Asheroth, which was a, a wooden kind of a thing, made out of wood, involved sexual immorality and prostitution. And if you look at the law of Moses, Moses specifically speaks against the, the worship of Asherah or Asherah in, in Deuteronomy chapter 16-21. And so in, in Israel, this Gentile queen of a weak king Ahab had persecuted God's prophets. She promoted the typically sexually unrestrained worship of Baal and also idol worship, offering food to these idols. That was Jezebel. Now, come to the New Testament here. Just like Jezebel in the Old Testament, this woman in the church of Thyatira was leading God's people astray. She called herself a prophetess and she was speaking for the living God. Was she? What do you think? Oh, show of hands, no. <laughs> do you think so? Of course not. She taught and led some people astray. She deceived some of God's people to adopt a lifestyle that would allow them to follow their sinful ways and also at the same time retain their membership as it were in the church and some form of relationship to Jesus. And so the parallels are very telling of Israel and Thyatira are very obvious. Her teaching was wrong. It involved sexual immorality. It involved idol worship. And the Bible tells us, friends, that if you are a Christian, then your body, if you are a Christian, your body belongs to whom? To Jesus. This body belongs to Him. Because He has redeemed you. He has bought you with a price. He has put his seal upon your life and mine. Your body and mine is the temple of the living God. We may not see it that way because we know our own sinfulness all the time, don't we? We sin in word, we sin in deed, we sin in thought. We know it, but our bodies, the Bible tells us, belongs to him. And the Bible uh, calls us to keep and to walk in holiness with the Lord. That's the problem here in this church. They have forgotten the holiness of God. They have forgotten what it means to be a holy people set apart for Christ. And so the Bible speaks, my dear friends, and tells us also about marriage. Let, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. We live in a world that uh, will play this thing down, isn't it? It's okay to, uh, to sleep around. It's okay. I haven't seen this program. I don't know what it is. I think there's a program, program called Switch or something, right? You, you, you're switching your partners for how many weeks? I don't know. Uh, now, I'm not saying anything like this is taking place there, but I, I find the whole concept pretty weird. <laughs> so you try the other partner, uh, your, your friend's wife or somebody, or husband for ten weeks, or who knows. Switches. What's happened to the concept of marriage itself? 
to defile the marriage bed, the temptation of sexual temptation. I, I was thinking about this. Why, why, is God, why, why is the Bible always talking about sexual temptations? What is it? Because it is such a powerful passion, isn't it? Sexuality and, and sex itself is such a powerful thing. It, it sells in our society. It, we are driven sexual beings. And it's not, and, and, and if you don't watch it, it's very easy to fall into this temptation. Even for those who are married, and we know people who are married. We know Christians who have fallen in this area. And the Bible tells us for us to watch ourselves, lest we ourselves don't fall. Sexual temptation. Immorality. Idol worship. See, Jezebel taught them to practice and worship anything. See, idolatry is the worship of anything or anyone other than the Lord. Now that is, friends, I tell you, it's a challenge for all of us. <laughs> because we are confronted all the time with idols. Are we not? <laughs> we are surrounded by it. We are driven by consumerism. We are driven by the fact that we need to keep up with the person next door. We need to keep up with the family. Oh my goodness, my family has got a, a brand new Audi. Now, if you have an Audi, I'll take it for a drive. Give it to me. <laughs> so I'm going to go and buy the Audi next day. I prefer a Merc, actually. Oh, my family has got the latest. Uh, my friend has got the latest thing. Now, of course, now, if you want to buy an Audi... Go and all, by all means do that. There's no guilt. You're under freedom by God to, to use your monies the way God wants you to use it. There's no guilt tripping about this thing. But you get the message, isn't it? We're surrounded by consumerism. An idol that drives us. What is driving your life this morning, friends? Who is driving your life? Who is driving my life? Who am I worshipping today? <laughs> Who are you worshipping this morning? Who is the number one priority in your life and mine? Is it this Savior Jesus Christ? Is it, is it He? Is He our idol? Is He the one that we want to follow and to know and to get into deeper things? And sometimes when even I look at my own life, I think, Lord, I need to spend more time getting to know you better because I want to know you better. Because if I don't watch it, my own life will be crowded by idols. I think it was Calvin who said, uh, our heart is a factory of idol worship. <laughs> now look what happened to this place, to, to this woman. See the danger of false and, uh, and, and wrong teaching in, in a church? How liberal teaching can come into a church as well, in the current context? Little by little, liberalism can creep in. We don't believe this part of the Bible, or we don't believe that aspect of the Bible, or we don't, well, that's, uh, we don't believe the miracles of Jesus, perhaps. What should the church have done? What should the leaders have done in this instance? What should the elders have done in the church in Thyatira? They, they should have acted. They should have acted by insisting or bringing those who had gone astray back to God's word. But the point is, they tolerated it. So there was a group of people in the church who were, who were practicing this, following uh, Jezebel's teaching, doing these things, and they were part of this church. They were part of this and, and tolerating it. Jezebel and her team and her people who were seeking the deep things of Satan in verse 24. What a dangerous situation for the church to be in. And notice then, as we move on, the discipline. How does the Lord deal with Jezebel? 
21 to 23, gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. But she did not. He showed her grace by giving her time to, ref- to repent, but she refused. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. What a God we have, friends. The God of grace. He gives us grace, does he not? You don't have to carry the guilt and the shame of whatever sin you have this morning. Because it can bring us down. Just that one sin. Have you read the book, uh, Spiritual Depression, by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Any, anyone read that book? Um, well, let, let, me, let me encourage you to read it. It's a, it's a good book. talks about spiritual depression. And Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks about, he has a chapter on that one sin. And he says, Satan can take that one sin in your life, that you have repented of or not, And bring you down by pointing out to you, you are a disgraceful person. Remember what you did. Remember you are good for nothing. You are this and that and the other. That is Satan, the accuser, who wants to point out your sin and bring you down. But Jesus says, repent and I'll give you grace. I will forgive you and I will renew you. I will restore you. I will lift that sin from you. You know that song? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. You know that one? I should know it. I should teach you that. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. That's how it goes. Calvary, Calvary. Our sin is taken. And Jesus says, I've given her time to repent. I want her to repent. I want her to experience my grace. I want these people to experience grace. But see, she has not. She persisted in her ways. She was not willing to humble herself. This is what we might call spiritual pride. It's a dangerous thing, friends, to have spiritual pride. Where you think, I don't need this. It was all about Jezebel. And so, what does the Lord say to her? Look at, look at the consequences. Staggering. 22-23. Behold, I will throw her into, onto a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. What are we to make of these verses? These are strong words. Words of judgment. The point is this. The church may tolerate her. The elders may tolerate her. But Jesus says, if she does not repent, I will deal with her. Wow. What would you prefer, friends? Let me put a question to you. What would you and I prefer? That the church deals with us and exercises discipline, which is a mark of a true church that exercises discipline? Or would you want the Lord's discipline? Well, Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Notice, friends, that the Lord exercises his discipline, gives a sick bed. It's not some luxurious bed or couch. 
It is a bed for patients struck with illness. You see, she was reaping what she had sown. One, one writer puts it this way. She who profaned the marriage bed of love is pinned to the bed of sickness. Great tribulation. I will throw those who commit adultery with her with great into tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And death. I will kill her children with fatal disease or death. Now, what, what a statement is this? Commentators are, are, are very in their approach here. Some, some think that it's literally talking about her children. Uh, others take the view that uh, the children would be a reference to the followers. And I, I think I might take that, that particular view. The point is discipline. God disciplines. Example, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. The Holy Spirit, they lied to the Holy Spirit. What happened to them? Your call. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, Acts? They were struck dead, right? <laughs> the husband came. Oh, I didn't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. The wife, they are carrying one out and the other one. Next one take. Immediate discipline. Think of the church at Corinth. They had been abusing the Lord's Supper. They are coming to the Lord's Supper and getting drunk. <laughs> right? And we read in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30, Many of you are weak or ill, and some of you have died because of the way you handle the Lord's Supper. So God's discipline comes bang in there. And to the church of Thyatira, this was a warning. And so it, does, it is to every church throughout the, the age. Beware of the Lord's discipline. Beware. Let me say a word of caution here as well. We should never be quick to say to someone who is facing a sickness, a trial, that this is the result of the Lord's discipline. I've heard that being said as well. Somebody is sick, or you have sinned, brother or sister. You are terrible. And so the Lord's discipline has come upon you. Can't you see it? Oh, you're going through this trial. You know why? Because the Lord is disciplining you. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Thank you for letting me know. How did you know that? Who told you that? We can't say that. <laughs> See the text here. The text makes it clear. It's, it's the Lord who searches the hearts. He's the one who does the discipline. Not you and me. We don't know what the cause could be. It's not for us to say. All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind heart. And I will give to each according your works. And then the promise, the final point here. There was a remnant in this church. Those who did not follow Jezebel and see what Jesus says to them. Those who did not learn the deep things of Satan. That is, this remnant who had not defiled themselves with such teachings which stems from Satan. Jesus will not lay on them any burden. Instead, they are to hold fast and I will give you authority over the nations. Psalm, Psalm 2, 7 and 9. We have this entire concept again. There is one who is the ultimate king. There is one who reigns. That is Jesus. One who will break the nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And to the one who conquers, to the remnant of the church in Thyatira, they will receive authority over the nations and to rule them with an iron rod. The picture here is this, friends. That those who are loyal to Jesus will rule over the world by being connected to Jesus. We may not see it. We will share in the dominion with Jesus over the nations. 
which Jesus himself had received from the Father. Psalm 2. And this authority he gives and shares with his church. He exercises through his church. But ultimately, when Jesus returns, his people will reign with him in this world. And they will exercise the authority with him. The tables will be turned. Now the world will put down the church. We have marginalized it and everything else. But a day is coming when everything will be turned upside down. Wow. And God's people will reign with Christ over the world. What an amazing thing that is. <laughs> Further, friends, he says, I will, he will be given the morning star. Now, what is this morning star? Well, what are we to make of the morning star? I looked at Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, 16. Tells us about the morning star. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Have you gone out and looked at the stars? The stargaze sometimes. I know some of you uh, love looking at all of these things. You've got your instruments at home and telescopes and so forth. The bright morning star that dispels all darkness. And Jesus says, I am the morning star. And I will give to such a person the morning star. It could be the symbol of the believer's resurrection. Or as we see in Revelation 22, that is the presence of Christ himself. He says, I will give to you myself the morning star. If this is the case, then it would be Jesus giving himself to us. Jesus saying, I am the morning star. I've given myself to you, the morning star. I am the bright and morning star. I'm the one who can bring brightness into your life out of darkness. What a thing that is. All the darkness, all the, the, the filth and the muck and everything else, he dispels and brings light, a morning star into your life. And he makes you a star for him. Like that twinkle, twinkle Little star, how I wonder what you are. A shining star, Paul talks of that in, 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 the, in, in Philippians. What a thing that is, isn't it? This morning star, he gives himself to us. And he makes us shine for him. What a glory that is, friends. The darkness is going to last no matter how the circumstances can be in our lives. Because in the end, also a new day is coming. When the ultimate reward of those who trust in Him and follow in Jesus as the Savior, they will see the morning star in all His fullness. And they will dwell with the morning star for all eternity. And Jesus will reign with His people. So He says to the church in Thyatira, keep going, hold fast, discipline the wrongdoings, and come back. Repent. I'm giving myself to you. Have you? Do you know this morning star this morning? How precious is Jesus to us today? As I conclude, what a blessing. What a comfort. What a hope. And what a warning as well to all of us. Because the holiness of God 
matters to Christ. Be you holy, even as I am holy. And that is a long, long struggle, friends. That's a battle, right? Sanctification, I'll say this and close. Justification is done. Forensic legal term. God declares us righteous in Christ. That is justification. Once and for all act of God. A legal declaration. We are sanctified. That is, we are made holy. But sanctification is a lifelong journey. Until my dying day. Because the battle is on. But through Christ and by his power, the morning star, we can be conquerors and we are conquerors in Christ. May God richly bless our lives to know this morning star, to dispel anything in our lives that is unholy to him, in my living, in my conduct, in the way I use my body for Christ. Everything. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts, you know the struggles that each of us face in our own lives. We don't claim to perfection, Lord, but we thank you that in Christ we are made perfect. We pray, Lord, for this congregation where you are the head of this church. Help the leadership team here, help the elders, the ministers, all those serving all of us as your people, to remember that Christ is the head of his church. The things we say and do in this place may be done for you, Lord. For you know everything that goes on. Help us as a church to honor the name of Christ in this place. And in our lives, and in our relationships, in our conversations, in our conduct. Thank you for grace in Christ. Amen.